But we're on week five, and the whole purpose of this series has been if there are things in our lives that we're letting the devil have access to, then no wonder our lives aren't going the way we think they should. And, uh, you know, we, we're supposed to be victorious overcomers, and it doesn't seem like we are. And I think the main reason why is because the Holy Spirit's not trying to help us. It's not that God's not willing to give us the victory, but we seem to keep letting the enemy in the front door. Forget the back door. He's left in the front door. And so we've been talking about them taking one each week. Uh, this is the reason I kind of like to end today, if I can, is that this to me is the biggest one of the bunch, and it's unforgiveness. And, uh, you know, so we all know what that looks like. There's been movies about it, like a million different movies about what it means to not forgive. God has mercy. I don't. Yeah, something like that, you know. I don't know. When I saw that movie clip, I thought, man, when did Cheech get so angry? I don't know. He's, he's always kind of be a laid-back kind of guy. <laughs> but um, so the thing is, our, salt, our culture actually celebrates revenge. There's like a million great revenge movies, even before movies, the books like Count of Monte Cristo. is always about, you know, coming back and, and uh, getting revenge, getting what's yours, never forgetting. You know, I will never forget. And, and, you know, shake the fist, and I will never forget, and I will always get this. And so we're taught how to hold grudges, uh, boy, in this area, better than any. I mean, we can hold a grudge in Pittsburgh, folks. We know how. You not only hold it for your generation, but you hold it for generations to come. I mean, I grew up, and there are people mad at each other for something their great-grandparents did. You know, it just it gets passed down like the Hatfields, the McCoys. And so I know that this is kind of going to be stepping on some toes this morning since it affects so many people. I'm going to tell you, just be calm. Relax. I'm going to start with my own personal confession so you guys can relax. I'm going to tell you a little story about this young guy here. Uh, this takes place back when I was um, about in junior high school. We used to call it junior high school, middle school today. But moving from junior high school to high school in, in that period of time in my life. Now what happened in Pittsburgh, some of you as old as me, or maybe if you studied history, uh, you know that. We had this thing kind of move through the area at the time. It was called the Charismatic Movement. It was like these charismatic conferences. This, by the way, is what a worship leader looked like in those days. This was a big get. This was the Pittsburgh uh, Charismatic Conference. They got Pat Boone. That was a big deal. Uh, but anyway, but we had this charismatic movement come through, and, the, and it was actually, I think, very positive for the church. The charismatic movement idea was to restore the miraculous gifts of the Spirit to, to the church. And uh, that was positive, uh, but what happens whenever anything positive happens is the devil always counterattacks, and that's what happened here. And so right after that wave was still going through, the second wave started. And this is something that I'm going to call, it has many names, I'm going to call the prosperity gospel. Now, prosperity gospel was not helpful for the church. Uh, it actually ha has uh, caught in. It, it still exists in many flavors today. Uh, but the idea of the prosperity gospel was, well, look, you're sons of God. The Bible tells you you're sons of God, sons and daughters of God. Uh, so if we're children of God and God is the king, that makes you royalty, you know. So forget this waiting for a mansion in heaven. Grab it now. You know, you're, you're a child of the king, and you should live like a child of the king. And now I'm, you know, in very impressionable age, uh, you know, like I said, my teenage years, this all sounds great to me. I, I got to tell you, uh, I thought, well, that's, that's all right. I like this because I not only can live the American dream, God wants me to have the American dream. And so I, this, is, this is pretty cool. I like this. And in fact, you know, it's more than just riches. It's, it's health, wealth, and prosperity. It's all of it. 
And so uh, there was a, a big belief in that day and being taught very heavily, I don't know if it still is, that Christians should never be sick. Because Jesus died on the cross not only for your sins, but also for your infirmities. And since you know, he was crucified by his stripes, we are healed. They said, you should never therefore be sick. That was part of the teaching that I would sit there and listen to. Because we went, you know, my family was going to all these different conferences. It was the thing. And uh, so I'd listen to it. I thought, well, that sounds good to me. Now, I'm a teenage boy at the time. And we think when you're a teenage boy, and you guys can... <laughs> agree with me or disagree, but you know it's true, that we're immortal anyway. I mean, it's just when you're a teenage guy, it's like, it's, it's, it's incredible how fast your body's regenerating and growing. You know, things I would do when I was a teenager, stupidly, like falling off of things and hitting the ground and getting up, that today I'd be rushed to the hospital for a full body scan. You know, I was sore till noon, you know, and then I was okay and back at it. Uh, you just kind of already feel that you're immortal. So to hear now that I shouldn't be sick was not that big of a leap for me. And so I just announced one day to my parents, I've decided I'm not going to be sick anymore. And they kind of go, oh, okay, you'll see how that works out for you. You know, go ahead. Uh, but here's the weird thing about that. I declare that. I remember telling everybody, I'm, I'm going to claim this. You know, all I have to do is claim the promise. Because that's what you were taught. If you claim the promise, you'd get it. And if you didn't get it, it just means you lacked faith. And I thought, well, I have faith, so this is no problem. I'm going to claim the promise, and I'm not going to be sick. Here's what's weird, though. For two years, I wasn't. I mean, I wasn't sick for two straight years. Now, even though I was a young teenage boy, that's still pretty remarkable. I come from a family of six. It was a three-bedroom house that puts two to a room. And you families, you know, when families, one member gets sick, it gets passed through the whole family. And in this two-year period, a lot of sickness came through my family. Nothing touched me. It got to the point after about a year, year and a half, that even my mother was commenting on it. Wow, you really just don't get sick. She's actually starting to brag about me to friends. I never see anything like it. He just said he wouldn't get sick and, and he's not getting sick. You know, like, you know, I know you're all sitting there thinking, I don't know where you're going with this story, Pastor. It is nowhere near where I thought you're going, but don't, don't worry. The plot's going to thicken here in a second. But I just want to say, you know, well, if, if that's false teaching, why were you not sick? I believe that God literally put a hedge around me to not let me get sick for two years because he had a purpose. There was something he was going to teach me that was very important and he wanted to make sure I didn't miss it. And sometimes the best way of teaching something is through big contrast. So I believe that's why he did that. I think God actually stepped in. I don't think it was coincidence. I think God literally kept me from being sick for two years because he had something to teach me. Interestingly, not about faith and not about sickness. He had something else to teach me that was actually more important to him. And we have to understand a lot of times things that are important to us, because this sounds important, being sick or not sick, isn't as important as something he wants to teach. So uh, what happened then was that um, well, I was in, in Sunday school class, which didn't really exist for me in those days because we were a small church. I grew up, uh, my father was a pastor at a church in Sudersville, Pennsylvania, just over the hill in the river. It's, uh, it's got some other church in it now. The Presbyterian Church closed it down a decade ago. But um, my father was the, was the pastor there. And so we were kind of small, about our size, and we didn't have enough people for everything, kind of like us. And so we didn't have a teacher for a Sunday school class for the for senior high school. And they figured when they got to senior high school, just join the adults. Well, there were two of us, me and my friend Nathan, and we didn't want to join the adult class, so we just had our own Sunday school class, and everybody let us go because, you know, we're kind of good kids, nerds, but, you know, we didn't get in trouble. So they just let us go, you know, and I could always come up with something we were talking about 
spiritually because, you know, I grew up in the church. I, I was fast like that. So uh, anyway, so that was what was going on. Well, at this particular time, I, I don't know what we were doing exactly. We were in the sanctuary, and uh, we started laughing about something because, you know, we were hilarious, and we always cracked each other up, and we would riff on each other's stuff, and we just thought we were really funny sometimes. And we must have gotten really going, and we were laughing. And all of a sudden, the door from the adult Sunday school classroom opens up. And it's like behind, you know, where we had a sanctuary, and then there was rooms behind the sanctuary was where Sunday school was. So it opens up, and out steps this guy named Bob Brady. Bob Brady was like six foot three, big guy. Uh, and he was an elder in the church, but he was also the superintendent of Sunday school. What that meant was he took attendance at Melody Presbytery, but he was the superintendent of Sunday school. So we were under his jurisdiction. And he comes walking out uh, fast, slams the door behind him, and he lets into us. I mean, really, really strong. You know, you guys need to shut up. This is embarrassing. I can't believe you treat the sanctuary God like this. You know, you got a couple of jackals out here. We can't even hear. It's disrespectful. I mean, he just goes on and on. He says, in fact, you know what? Get out of here, right? Now. Just get out. If you can't treat the sanctuary God better, you get out right now. Like, we're looking at him like, what? He said, leave. Right now, leave. And so we get up and, you know, saunter out, take our act on the road. Uh, we leave the sanctuary, you know. And when we got outside, we made jokes, of course, about what just happened because that's what you do when you're a teenager. Nothing ever bothers you. Uh, and that was probably it for Nathan, but it wasn't it for me. Because I was a little offended by what happened there. And, and the reason for that is, to be honest with you, I know this is going to shock some of you, um, I was a little bit arrogant at that age in my life. And, you know, we're a small church, and I can see y'all when you look at Victoria. Did you know that? I can actually see when you look over her. Let me explain to you her shocked expression in case anybody was looking over. She's not shocked that I was arrogant when I was 15. She's shocked I would ever admit that I was arrogant at any age, you know. But I was. I was a little bit arrogant, and, and I honestly believed, to just really be honest with you, that that was my father's church. It was my dad's church. Uh, you know, we got there, uh, and there was eight people coming to church, and now, look, we have 50, 60 people coming, and I was one of the very first people from my family who went to that church. Bob Brady didn't come for many years. What right did he have to kick me out of God's sanctuary, and if it's not God's, it's my dad's, and I just really kind of got offended, and um, I didn't let go of it. I was like, you know, I ought to talk to my father about this, or I write a letter to session. I ought, you know, I ought to do something, because that's, that's wrong, kicking a kid out of a sanctuary. That's just, that's just wrong. Anyway, time goes on, a couple days, uh, and for the first time in two years, suddenly I get sick. And I didn't just get a little bit sick. I mean, I got everything. My glands were swollen. I had a stuffed nose. I had a fever. I had a sore throat. I was achy. I had chills. I had hot flash. Everything you can imagine, I had. Um, but I didn't get so bad that my parents would take me to the hospital. Because in those days, you know, give him seven days. If he hasn't died in seven days, he'll be better. If he does, he looks like he's going to die, we'll take him to the hospital. A little bit different in those days. Hey, my parents had three more. I'm just like, you know, let's, get to, let's not go rushing to conclusions here. But actually, my fever never got so bad that my mother, who is a nurse, uh, was worried. You know, she, she would watch it. We'd go like to 102, 105, getting up there, but then it'd come back down to 102. It was like bad, but not horrible. And that kind of that stasis. But I was out. I mean, I was just so miserable. And of course, the question that comes is, well, why are you sick? You know, my, my mom even asked you, why are you sick? At first, I denied it. I'm not getting sick. Yeah, 102, you're sick. You know, it's like, no, I'm not sick. Yeah, you are. 102.5, you're sick. 
And, and I just, you know, and now I had been taught by the seminars what to do in a situation like this, you know. So I knew, you know, I knew to pray against it. I knew to claim in faith. I knew to speak to the devil. And I, knew, I did everything that they taught you in all the classes to make all this go away. And nothing worked. Days are going by now. And we're coming up to Easter. I was actually supposed to sing in church on Friday. That didn't happen. I was sick in bed on Friday. I couldn't get up. I mean, I, I was dizzy if I got up. I lay back down. I could only get up and go to the bathroom. And that's about it. And so Friday comes, and I'm still sick, and Saturday comes, and I'm still sick, and I'm just lying in bed wondering what is going on, because I've never been sick like this before, really, honestly. It wasn't the flu. It was unusual. And uh, so Sunday morning, and you know how it is when you're sick like that. You come in and out of fevers, and you sleep, and you come back out when the fever lets you. So it was really early in the morning, about 5 a.m., I wake up in, in my bed. I'm still sick. And I actually thought maybe I would rise from bed on Easter Sunday. I thought that'd be cool, but it didn't happen. I was still sick. And so I'm lying in bed, and I'm like, God, why? That's not the first time I had asked that question. Believe me, that was not the first time that I had asked that question. But I asked it again, God, why? I don't get it. Why am I sick? And then all of a sudden, like a movie playing in my mind, I saw everything that happened the Sunday before when Bob Brady came out and shook his finger at me, and I saw it. And, and it, as it played back in my head, I felt all those emotions stir back up. I was really angry again. You know, I could, I could feel it. You know how it gets sometimes. You bring those emotions right back fresh. And right back when all those emotions were fresh, God said, that's why. Now, I, there is a truth that God can teach us things in sickness we'll never learn in health. That is absolutely true. Uh, and I believe that God brought me to this point because he needed my full attention. And uh, so he said, that's why. And I thought, oh, why is that? Because Bob yelled at me? <laughs> you know? He says, no, because you're harboring hatred in your heart for Bob Brady. Now, the first thing you do when you're having a conversation with God is you always try to equivocate. The, you know, kind of plead down the, the charges, just like any other court. Right? Oh, I wouldn't call it hatred, God. You know, maybe a little grudge, you know, or maybe a little something. I wouldn't call it hatred. I think hatred's a strong word. God says hatred. Yeah. Okay, well, he's the judge, you know, so it's hatred it is. And I go, okay, well, um, yeah, but God, he kicked me out of your sanctuary because that's what you got to do if you're really going to hold a grudge right. It can't just be you're offended. He had to offend your family and God. And I had both of those. He offended my father and he offended God. It's like, you know, you know God, he, did you hear what he did? He kicked a kid out of his sanctuary. You can't, you know, that's bad. That's wrong. And, and God says, um, do you want to be sick? No, I really don't want to be sick, God. I've had enough of this. I don't want to be sick. Then what you need to do is forgive Bob Brady for what he did. And uh, I'm like, um, that makes no sense to me at all. Why would I forgive somebody who did something wrong? You know, like, well, I, this is funny to me because um, I actually had that conversation. I actually said that to God. Why in the world would I forgive somebody who's wrong? And what's funny to me is looking back on it now as an adult, if there was wrongness on a scale somewhere, you know, Bob Brady, maybe, maybe he didn't speak in love. I'll, I'll say probably he didn't. Maybe he was a little harsh, Maybe. But if I were to line up his sins and my sins that day, just in that moment, you know, because here I am trying to say, well, my father, my father was trying to teach a class and I was so loud that they had to send somebody out to shut me up. 
You want to talk about being disrespectful to my father. It wasn't Bob Brady, who probably was sent by my father. It was me. It was me. It was clearly me. Plus, he was an elder of the church. He was a superintendent of Sunday school. He had every right to do that. And in those days, he was a parent and I was a kid. He had the right. Because in those days, any parent could yell at you for any reason. And they were all in collusion, too. You couldn't go home and say, Mr. Harker Road yelled at me, Dad. Why'd you get Mr. Harker Road mad at you? You know, he <laughs> was like, I'll beat you, too. He was like, oh, man, they were all together. In those days, you did. But so, for every reason you can name, he had the right to do what he did. He did. So if I were really to look at it honestly and say, well, here's my sin and here's Bob Brady's sin, it was ridiculous, but not in my day, not at that moment. I was like, he is entirely wrong and I'm righteous, you know? And so why would I apologize to somebody who's wrong, who's clearly wrong? And I love God because he sometimes does something. I don't know if he just does it deliberately or whatever. I just have a weird sense of humor. Um, but God, being God, decides to answer me like a rabbi, and he actually answers me with a question, which even at the time cracked me up. I remember thinking that was pretty funny. Uh, so I said, why in the world would I forgive somebody who's clearly wrong? And he says, why would you need to forgive someone who is right? It's <laughs> a good, good question, isn't it? <laughs> so of course, this is what forgiveness is, right? It's forgiving somebody who's wrong, because if they're right, you, it's not called forgiveness. It's called you getting a reality check, right? It's like, oh, I realize now they're right. That's not forgiveness. Of course, forgiveness is over somebody who did something wrong. That's the point of forgiveness. That's why it's called forgiveness, because you're forgiving a debt. So it was like, okay, I get it. All right, fine. Um, and so then I said, okay, I'll do that. I don't really know exactly what I, what's required at this point, but I'm going to summon up every ounce of my Christian grace, and I'm going to offer forgiveness. And so I did. I prayed this prayer of forgive them. And, you know, and I even, I even you know, said, God, if there's anything left in me, please take this from me. I don't want to have any you know, hate in my heart. I, you know, I want to be clean and before you, and, and so please forgive me. Please forgive me. And, and, and I forgive him. And so I prayed this prayer, and then I waited. And you know what happened next? Nothing. I was still sick. I'm like, okay, now I expected something on your end on that one, God. You know, you called me out on this, and I did what you asked me to do. I kind of expected to be better at this point, and I'm still sick. I don't know if you've noticed, God, but I'm still sick. And um, God says, you need to do one more thing. I said, okay, what more do I need to do? He says, you need to ask Bob Brady to forgive you for being angry with him. Oh, no. <laughs> no, 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 no. First of all, God, he probably won't even accept the apology. You know, it probably won't even, by the way, Bob Brady would have, but, you know, you throw things out hoping they stick. I said, you know, I, I don't even know, you know, how, how I did what I, you asked me to do. I forgave him. Why are you going to make me do this humiliating thing? And he said, because you can never truly forgive someone while you continue to believe that your anger was completely justified. And in my heart, that's what I thought. I'll say I forgive him, but I was right. And God's saying, you can't do that. The only way this is going to work is if you get all this out of your heart, and you won't get that out of your heart until you humble yourself honestly and say, I was wrong. And I'm like, I don't know, Lord. That one's a little bit far. That's a, that's a step further than I thought I was going to have to do. I can just confess it to you that I was wrong. Isn't that what this is all about? I don't need a father confessor. I don't, you know, we're not Catholic. I can just simply confess my sin to you. And that should end it. I shouldn't have to go. And here's the problem. We spend so much time trying to conceal our sin, we think it's only natural then to conceal our confession. But if we truly want this out of our lives, 
we need to expose the darkness to the light because darkness will continue to have power over you until you expose it to the light. God's saying it's not a question of me. It's a question of this having power over your life. And if you want it gone from your life, you need to expose it to the light. And to expose it to light is to confess your sin. This isn't the first time, by the way, I'd heard about confessing your sins. It's in the Bible all over the place. We somehow have dropped it in the, in the Protestant you know, side of, of, of things. Of course, they got the confession booth, which is um, you know, kind of a machine over in the Catholic church. But, but we dropped the whole idea of this confessing our sins and confessing what we did wrong. And, and so you know, the whole thing was that God was saying, this is really important. You have anger in your heart. If you want to get it completely out of your heart, this is what's going to be required. And I believe he was showing me my sickness because as far as he's concerned, my heart was sick. So we would both be on the same page here. This is how important this is. And so I'm like, I don't even know how I do that, Lord, because you're telling me I'm not going to get better until I do this. I can't get to church until I get better. My mom's not going to let me out of bed with 102 degree temperature. That's not going to happen. And God was silent then. And the reason God's silent is because, and we don't want to admit this, but this is truth too. And that is that when you want to do something, you find a way. When you don't want to do something, you find an excuse. And so God just said, let back, you know. You're going to find a way, you're going to find an excuse. And I said, I guess I could send somebody in my place, but who would I send? You know, I have a whole family. I said, maybe my brother Tim. And then I said, but if I need to send Tim, somehow he's going to have to come in here so I can talk to him because I can't go out there. My family by this time has been getting ready to get ready to go to, to church. We had an early service on Easter, so they're all kind of getting ready. And I thought I'd heard Tim go by, you know. Uh, and so I said, I'll try to get Tim. I'll, okay, God, I'll try to get Tim. But that's all I can do. I can't get out of bed. And uh, just then I saw him go past my door. And so I said, Tim, about that loud, you know, because I really didn't want to get Tim. Tim, you know, like no way he heard that. Oh, by God, he heard that. He turned around, came back in, says, can I get you something? You know, like, oh, okay. So here we go. Poor Tim. He thinks that I'm going to ask him for a glass of water before he leaves or something. Instead, I'm going to give him my last will and testament. Okay, here's what I need you to do, Tim. I need you to see Bob Brady at church, and I need you to tell him this. Last week when he yelled at me, I was angry with him, and I held that anger in my heart. And I am sorry and ask him to forgive me. And poor Tim, like, you could see his face like, okay, you know, what a weird request. But he leaves, and I said, that's all I can do. And then the fever took me. I went back to sleep. Woke up an hour and a half later, and as soon as I woke up, I knew the sickness was gone. Everything. I mean, I sat up, no swollen glands, no fever, no stuffed nose, no dizziness, no headache. I mean, uh, the only thing I knew that I had even had a fever was I had the sweat from when the fever broke. That was it. So I get up and I take a shower, get ready. It'd be a while before my family got home. And just to show you how righteous I was at that day in my life, I actually cleaned the kitchen while I was waiting for them to get home with something else my wife's probably shocked over. But I did that as well, right? And I did not have to ask Tim if he managed to speak with Bob Brady because I knew. But I asked him anyway. I said, uh, did you get a chance to talk to Bob? Of course, they walked in and I'm sitting there like, <laughs> like the demon was cast out. You know, I was like, wow, look at him. Uh, he said, yeah, I did. I said, what happened? I was curious. He goes, well, to be honest with you, uh, he didn't know what I was talking about through much of the speech. But when I got to the end and I said that you were asking him to forgive you, he said, yeah, okay, I guess, sure. <laughs> I said, okay. And so here's this thing that put me on my back for almost a week. It didn't even register 
on his consciousness. And this is the problem, you see. Unforgiveness is a one-person war, and the only casualty in that war is you. It's like holding a grudge is, is taking poison and waiting for the other person to die. Most of the time, they don't even know it's happening. I know so many people who are angry with people who are dead. They're angry with people who they'll never see again. And they hold this grudge in their lives. And, and what God was trying to say is, this is hurting you. And, and I said, what if God, what, God, what if he doesn't accept my apology? What if he doesn't forgive me? He says, then that's on him. But I will release you and the darkness will have no power over you in this, in this area. It'll be released out of your life. What you need to do is get this out of your life for good and not have it anymore. So let me do a couple real quick breakdowns here because when you tell a story like this, uh, it's kind of gets, the, the message can get lost really, really easily. Let me, let me ask a quest, couple questions which may have come to your mind while I told this story. Did God make me sick? I prefer to think not. I prefer to think God built a hedge of protection around me and the demons were so frustrated for two years, all he had to do was lift it up and boom, I think that's why I got everything. However, God certainly could have got me sick. In, uh, in Numbers 12, there's a moment where, where uh, Miriam tries to lead a little rebellion, mini rebellion against Moses, and God strikes her with leprosy. So it is in God's arsenal to do that. And he said, well, that's kind of evil. That's not evil because he did it for a purpose. You know, he did it for a purpose in case of Miriam. It brought her to repentance. He did it on purpose in my case as well to bring me to repentance. And again, the sickness is trivial to him. What he wanted me to learn was a much greater truth that unforgiveness is really, really wrong. It's not just a little thing. It's a big thing. It's big enough that God set this whole thing up to teach me. And I honestly believe that he taught me it that day because he knew one day I'd be preaching this sermon to you. It's that important to him, this subject, that I really had to get it. I really had to learn it. So uh, the next question, which automatically comes up, is, well, you tell me all sickness comes from sin. No. We know that's not true. We, uh, in John chapter 9, uh, his disciples and he are walking along, and they see this guy who's blind, and the disciples say, hey, why is this guy blind? Was it his sin or was it his parents' sin? And Jesus says, neither one of them. He's blind, so I can show you God's glory. Watch this, and he heals him. Right? So we know for a fact that not all sickness is a result of sin, right? Uh, it wouldn't be a bad place to start, though, if you're having an issue. You know, just pray, God, is this something in my life that I have let in, and it's, it's, it's causing an issue, and, and pray about it. He, he's really good about revealing this. And this, by the way, is part of the problem when we pray for healing for people. I know that everybody's kind of frustrated because we pray for healing, and sometimes people get healed, and sometimes they don't. And why is that? Well, there's no real easy answer. It's like, I don't know if this is, gets asked anymore, but it used to be a big deal in my day. Um, why is there no cure for the common cold? Some of you my age, you heard that. They can land a man on the moon, but they can't cure the common cold. We used to say stuff like that, right, on TV and stuff. Uh, the answer is this. There is no such thing as a common cold. There are common symptoms that are caused by a thousand different things. And so when we say it's a common cold, it really isn't. It happens a lot, but there's not one thing. It's a hundred things. It's a thousand things. Same thing with all sickness at a spiritual level as well. There's all kinds of reasons people are sick. And it, it can be many things. It can actually be sin in their lives. It doesn't have to be, though. And so what we need to do is we need to pray for the right thing. And, and the reasons uh, that th is there are many sicknesses, but we have one prayer. <laughs> it's like... 
It's like all I have is aspirin. I walk around and give it to everybody who's sick, and some of them are actually going to get better for it, you know, and some won't. And we need to get better at this. And part of this is we need to understand the connection that we have to have with God and God's Spirit to reveal things to us to know what to pray for. And it is, though, something I think you need to understand is you can never rule out unforgiveness uh, because it is the root of a lot of evil in our lives. And we have to understand that because this is so important to God. He throws it all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the New Testament. Jesus preaches on this a lot. Now, I'm not going to go into this story, but you know, many of you know that the story when I was 13 months old, I almost died in the hospital and, and God heals me. But as he heals me, he sends in a pastor who reads Psalm 91 over me as a prophecy. You know, prophetic word over me, like, you know, so it's a promise of God, this, this Psalm 91. I'm going to show you part of it. Uh, Psalm 91, 3, 4, for it is the Lord who delivers you from the deadly pestilence, that'd be disease. He will cover you with his feathers and under his wings, you may seek re- refuge. You won't be afraid of the terror by night or the pestilence, there it is again, that stalks in the darkness or even the plague that lays waste at noon. No evil will fall you. No plague will come near your tent. That was a promise that was given to me by God. So how in the world was I even sick? I mean, you can ask that question. Well, because all of that depends on this verse, because he loves me. Therefore, I will deliver him. I will set him secure and high because he's known my name. That's like he knows me on an intimate level. He just doesn't know who I am. We know each other. I got his back because he loves me and because he knows me. What if we don't love God? Do you love God? What does that mean? Do you love God? I like to say I love God. I liked him on Facebook. Does that count? I even shared it. Must count. You know, surely I love God. Do you love God? Well, Jesus says this, in case you're wondering, you know, you don't have to go very far for your check, because here's what Jesus says in John 14. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. Real simple, Jesus says. If you love me, you do what I tell you. You call me your Lord and Savior. If I'm your Lord and I told you to do something, you're going to do something. Do you love God? See, you have to understand that the greatest prayers of faith we'll ever give start after we forgive. We will ever give start after we forgive. There's a passage that's kind of well known in the Bible about great faith and great faith prayers. But I want to show you something because Jesus ties these two things together. In Mark chapter 11, he says, Truly I tell you, if anyone says this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, and doesn't not in their heart, but believes what they say will happen, it will be done for them. We've heard this, right? Cast mountains in the sea. Faith to move mountains. We've heard this. This is a famous verse. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe you received it, and it will be yours. This is a promise. This is a promise for great prayers. Oh, but Jesus adds this. And when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your Father in heaven may forgive you your sins. Isn't it funny how that part always gets dropped? When you're standing in prayer, he says, don't just pray. Are you holding anything in your heart against anyone? Is there any unforgiveness in you? You need to get rid of that, he says. In fact, he even says this. He says, um, therefore, if you're presenting your offering at the altar... And remember that your brother has something against you. Leave your offering there and go. Be reconciled and then come back and present your offering. He said, if there's problems with you in your relationships, whether you hate someone secretly or you think someone hates you on something you did, go take care of it. 
Don't even bring me an offering in church. I want you to go take care of that first. That's much, much, much more important to me than that. And, and we have to get it that, that forgiveness is just the key to Christian living. It is a huge command that God has given us. We can't just ignore it. Oh, well, it's just a grudge. I don't really, you know, hate them. I just don't like them very much. <laughs> I don't really hate them. It's just, you know, I want to spit when I see them. It's not really hate. That's just too... No, God's saying that's hate. It's hate and it's in your heart. You have to see that. And he says this, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. This is Jesus now. But if you do not forgive, your Father will not forgive your sins. Here's the scary part Jesus is saying. If you're not forgiving, I'm not forgiving you. And you don't love me. And guess what that means for every promise in the Bible? It no longer applies to you. It's the truth. Every other promise of the Bible is dependent upon this. I have forgiven you much. I'm asking you to forgive a small little thing. It's like, really, Mark? You got a little offended? Your feelings got hurt? Do you know what I've done for you? Do you know what you've done to me that I have forgiven you for? And you're going to tell me your feelings got hurt and you can't let it go? No, you will forgive that. And you'll forgive that because it's not hurting them, it's hurting you. I'm telling you, be selfish. Forgive people. Self, be selfish and forgive people. Because it'll help you. That's why. It's actually beneficial to you. I'm going to be really clear on this. Unforgiveness does not leave the front door open. We've been talking about leaving the front door open. Unforgiveness does not leave the front door open. It knocks down all four walls of the house and says to Satan, come and get me. That's what unforgiveness does. It is, it, it just exposes you to everything Satan wants to do to you because you have walked away from the promises of God. Because he says, if you don't forgive, I will not forgive. If you're not forgiven, you're not righteous. Righteous means right standing with God. That means I'm standing in front of God and we're good. That's righteousness. And he's saying, no, you're not because your sins haven't been forgiven because you haven't forgiven those sins. And you're going to stand before me and ask something? Who are you? If you love me, you will obey my commands. It's in the Our Father, those of you who are former Catholics, the Lord's Prayer, if you're Protestant. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Right there. I mean, it's all over the Bible. You can't escape this. It's not like I'm pulling a stray verse out. This is the teaching of Jesus Christ. I'm going to forgive you the way you forgive others. How are you doing? It's really kind of funny because later, uh, Peter comes up to him and he says, uh, Hey, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother who sins against me? He must have brothers like mine. <laughs> He's like, you know, I'm kind of getting tired of it. So the Pharisees usually taught about three times. So he went ho higher than that. He says, how about seven? I'm going to, I know that you amp things up, Jesus. And I want everybody to know I'm a follower of yours. How about if I would forgive my brother seven times? And Jesus says, no. How about 70 times seven? Now, now, here's something that I thought was funny when I was reading over that. What answer do you want Jesus to give there? Knowing that he's going to forgive you the same way. What answer do you want him to give? Three? Okay, fine, Mark. I'll forgive you three times then. Good luck with that. You know, do we really want that answer from Jesus? No, I like Jesus' answer. Yes, it's a big requirement for you, but that means he's like, I'm going to keep forgiving you. There's no limit here. 
I'm going to keep, I may have run out of 70 times 7, you know, <laughs> but my brother won't, not with me. So we have to understand that this is really, really important. Now we play this really kind of goofy video at the beginning that try to retell the story that Jesus told you. Let me give it to you in Jesus' words, and I'm going to close with this. He says, look, the kingdom of heaven is like a king. He went to settle his accounts with his servants, and as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought before him. That's a lot of money. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had will be sold to repay the debt. No bankruptcy in those days, folks. You owed the king money, off you go. You'd become his slaves. If he didn't want, if he didn't want that, he would sell you as a slave. Or he could throw you in prison. He had all option available to him. We don't know what that's like. You know, we, we go to court and say, oh, I can't pay. Okay, we'll forgive you debts. That's not how it worked in those days. You and your entire family was on the hook. And if that wasn't enough, your next generation too. They could take everybody. And that's how it was in those days. You had to pay off your debt. He didn't have the money. It was such a big account. I don't even know how he got that kind of money. He must have squandered it and embezzled it because there was no way he was ever, ever, ever going to pay that back. And the servant falls on his knees before him and says, be patient with me. 10,000 bags of gold. He was already patient. And I will pay back everything. No, he's not. Come on. He can't pay that back. There's no way he can pay that back. The servant's master took pity on him. He says, you know what? You can't pay this back. I will cancel that debt. And he lets him go. That's a good king. He says, never mind. You can't pay this back. I'm not going to do that to you and your family. I'm just going to forgive the debt because I know you can't pay me back. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. And he grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and said, be patient me. I will pay it back. That should like, sound familiar to the guy, right? But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. So they're like, ah, yeah, I'm going to get mine. I'm going to get mine. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything. The master called the servant and said, you wicked servant. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And in his anger, his master handed him over to the jailers. Watch this. To be tortured until he could pay back all he owed. And watch what Jesus says. And this is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. So that's Jesus. He, it's throughout his entire ministry. It's really important to him. He says, if you don't forgive others, that means you don't value what I've done for you. If you can't understand why you should forgive others, then how can you understand what I've done for you? You haven't really accepted Jesus' grace because you don't really think you need it. Is this is really, really important. From your heart, it has to come. Now let me cycle back this real quick. Forgiveness is linked to prayers for healing. Because I know we all want to see people healed. We all want to see that. James says this, if any among you are sick, he must call for the elders of the church, there to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, they'll be forgiven him. Wait, what? That's kind of thrown in there, isn't it? 
what's happening? What's happening is, as he goes on and says, therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. This whole confessing of sins is part of the process. We keep wanting to keep our sins a secret. And so we don't want to confess them to anybody. But God's saying you need to expose it to the light. Here's how, here's how you get better. You confess your sins to one another, and I will expose it to the light, and I will kill it. It's like bringing sunlight in and killing germs. That's what has to happen. We have to bring the light and we have to kill it. And if you can't do this, it stays with power over you. And he goes on and says, the effective prayers of a righteous man accomplishes much. What's a righteous man? A man whose sins have been forgiven. That's a righteous man. We always think of a righteous man. Oh, he's a good man. No, he's a forgiven man. That's what he's saying. James is saying all this is together. You, you, you want to come and people are going to pray. Yeah, and confess your sins. Get righteous with God. Get the sin out of your life because that's the prayer that God listens to because that's the prayer that can claim the promise. Because if you're not righteous, you don't love the Lord. And if you don't love the Lord, none of his promises apply. This is a really important part of this. And we, and we go running around our entire lives trying to avoid this very important part because we don't want to confess out loud what we did. We need to learn how to confess our sins to one another. We need to go to the people we sin against and say, I'm sorry, this was on me. And even if it's a well on a scale of 100, mine's, my, my sin's 10 and theirs is 100. I'll wait for them to go first. No, get it out of your life. Get the sin out of your life so that you stay righteous. This isn't just a good idea. This isn't Christianity advanced. That Oh, you work up to that. No, Jesus is saying this is the entry point for Christianity. I forgave you of everything. You need to forgive the people around you. Would you all please pray with me?